Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pop Collectors Alliance podcast, episode 125, the creator series, A Funko Tale with Julie. I'm your host, Rick, as always, joined by my co-bearded co-host, Captain Strongbeard, Mr. Piper. I'm in Fort Worth. It's a rarity, but soon to be a normality. Uh, and uh, how are we doing this evening? I am tired of hearing karaoke downstairs through the floor. Yeah, I always the the amazing thing about recording is that it doesn't ever come through. But if you do happen to hear somebody singing Phil Collins downstairs through the podcast, just enjoy it. You know, you can write in and complain, but it is one of the great things uh, that we have below us. I will give you the address that you should send your complaints to. It is not us. It is someone else. <laughs> so anyways, this week is a very special episode. We've been alluding to it. So we have a very special guest on that we'll get to very shortly. But we're going to go with a brief opening. Uh, I guess let's call this a Piper I told you so moment. Do we want to go there? You're telling me so, or I'm telling the listeners so? You're telling the listeners so. Listeners, I told you so. I know everything. I am the genius of the sky. No. Uh, we're going to talk about NFTs, right? Yeah. Flintstone NFTs and our predictions from last week. All right. So I don't remember the exact, what my, what my exact guess was, but this was prior to all of the uh, redeemables being leaked or put out there. I don't remember if they were leaked earlier or not, but um, I guessed, uh, well, we all knew that Fred Flintstone was the grail with the, the cooking Fred Flintstone. So we knew that. And then Ricky, he was able to get the number on the dot because uh, I mean, it was, that's not that hard of a guess, right? Like that's kind of the, the standard. Yeah. 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 So we were good on that one, but we <laughs> was able to get a lot of the characters that were coming out dead on and i was very shocked that i did such a good job because usually i'm good at two things one of those is just yelling at people and the other thing is not getting anything right <laughs> but we got this one right yeah i think one of the things about the legendaries that you typically see with the lines that they release sometimes uh when they get a big name license and i wouldn't say that the flintstones is huge but as long as the product line is concerned and what they've released before you tend to get the uh, couple big characters for the grail and then your legendaries are just hit and miss. And in this one, I mean, you got Barney, you have Wilma. We, we got Dino. That's what I wanted. That that's the pop that I really wanted. And I think what, well, and they showed a Dino one and I'm glad that it's the card that they showed is also the same as the redeemable because the bone is awesome. Uh, I was, I'm glad that they didn't, didn't do something stupid, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. I like that one. And then, uh, the the Barney was weird that he's like the firefighter firefighter Barney firefighter Barney firefighter Barney. Uh, I thought that one was strange, but I I guess the Freddy, but I did I said I thought it was Freddy as the the great great gazoo. Yeah. Yes, and that was that was not right. But I did also mention oh, it'd be great if they did one of them in the little order of the water buffalo, and that's the Freddy we got. So that's exciting. So we have an Illuminati Freddy. Illuminati Freddy is what it is. I think <laughs> that's just that's just a fact. Write it down. So yeah, the the line looks like it's going to be really good. It releases next Tuesday, right? I got to save some money and so I can afford them. But yes. Yeah. So excited to buy those. Let us know what you think uh, at Pop Alliance Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Info at popcollectorsalliance.com. Go to facebook.com slash popcollectorsalliance and search for the Pop Collectors Alliance group on Facebook. Be part of the discussion today. Let us know what you think about the NFTs. I think this is a good direction. I like some of these core lines, and, and hopefully as we move forward, they, they've kind of slowed down on NFTs. We'll see if they ramp it back up once again. We got like a month break, and 
in product. So let's see what Funko does next. Are you excited? I'm excited. I am. I think today's going to be a, a, a very, a very interesting day. No uh, pressure on the episode, right? It's going to be the best episode that we've done since we had someone else worth listening to on, on the episode. <laughs> People not hearing our voices. So as everybody knows, we've alluded to, we have, uh, I would, I've always wanted to say this. I've always wanted to say, you have a Funko insider or someone that knows the inner workings of the company. Where is the mole? Where is the leak? I, I'm not going to say this is that in <laughs> any means and no pressure to our guest. Uh, but we do have a guest that uh, worked with Funko and was part of the unfortunate layoffs that did occur. Uh, and we are bringing Julie on to the show today to give us a little bit of background, maybe some life of what it was like at Funko and, and some of the happenings there. And, you know, the overall situation of what we had uh, brought on the episodes earlier this year about the layoffs and things that happened there. So there's no pressure on Julie coming on the show, but we are very glad to have her. And I hope our audience enjoys it. We have patron questions we're going to get to and um, just a lot of things. So I'm looking forward to this. And uh, Julie, welcome to the show. I'm going to hit, before we talk, I got to hit the applause button. <laughs> All right, there we go. Now you may speak. Let's go. If that was applause, it, it sounded like someone was crinkling plastic. Um, <laughs> is that intentional? Very intentional. Yeah. Uh, no, um, it was really applause. It was a button on my, on the mixer and it says applause. So that's what it's supposed to be. Piper says it, it was a button on the mixer, but it was really a water bottle that he was crinkling into the microphone. I was uh, reaching into the Doritos bag. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that sounds great. Like with the, the orange fingers and everything. Oh yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here and to like kind of share some of my experience. Share all the secrets and the goods that you may have. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure at all. All right. Uh-huh. Cool. So we will jump right into this interview. Um, and you, if we say anything and you want to elaborate on it, feel free. You got all the time in the world. No rush. Uh, but we can start off with. Uh, we have some questions that we have, and then we also have some questions that our patrons uh, have submitted to us via Discord. So we will start off with the general questions. So we would like you to tell the story of how you ended up at Funko. So I started at Funko in December of 2016. So like originally I'm from like before before I moved up to Washington State, I uh, lived for 20 years of my life in Atlanta, Georgia. I went to the Savannah College of Art and Design, the Atlanta campus, and I studied sequential art. So I have like this, I have a comics background um, and I graduated in 2011. And then I just kind of like burnt out, got stuck in a rut for a few years. Kind of wasn't going anywhere professionally before like eventually I was like, well, what if I moved to Washington? Um, and of course I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I, I don't want to say a course, but I didn't go by myself. I did, I did have the opportunity to move up to um, Linwood, Washington with a few friends. So there was like a support system there. And um, for a few months, like <laughs> nine months, I guess, <laughs> I was living off of savings, like working on my portfolio and kind of applying around. And Originally, I wanted to work as a video game concept artist. Nice. Um, then I kind of realized that wasn't, I wasn't as qualified for that as uh, 
I maybe originally uh, realized and but then I, I saw a job opening at Funko, which I had no idea. I had no idea it was in Everett before I moved up here. But then like, I just, by luck, I saw that it was in Everett, which was like a 20 minute drive from where I was living. Um, and the opening was for the plush designer position. So I applied and I was thrilled to have gotten an interview. And like, I, I just, I felt so lucky because um, at the time my savings were about to run out and, uh, and I finally got, it was like my first job in the creative field. And uh, yeah, that's how I, I got there. That's awesome. I'm, I'm from the Northwest too. So I know, I know all the names that you say. <laughs> um, so when you went through the whole interview process, what was your experience there? Like, what was, what was that like? Uh, I mean, the interview process I think was uh it wasn't particularly remarkable like what i know now from like corporate interview processes um like i talked to someone in their talent department on the phone first just as like kind of an initial screening call so they could make sure that i you know wasn't gonna come in and axe murder everyone you know (laughs) is that a a problem (laughs) at funko is like there's too many axe murderers applying yeah, yeah, yeah. They just wanted to make sure, you know, that I, I seemed uh, relatively stable. Um, it's good that you weren't then, dangerous. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, so I, yeah, I talked to, you know, someone on the phone. No, no one actually in the creative department, but just, you know, to try to do an initial screening. And then I talked to uh, the director I would be working with directly. So like the guy kind of just in charge of blush, like the, so, and that went well, actually, like what I, I I heard later on that, like the, the selling point for me was uh, bringing in my sketchbook to kind of let them take a look at my process. And this is a pretty, this is pretty good advice really for anyone pursuing a creative position is that you need to show your process, like the way you think, the way you kind of like develop your final piece like you know how you iterate and stuff like that like they don't want to see just like the finished paintings they want to see like what it took to get there and the fact that I did bring my sketchbook in with me was a great selling point so that was cool after I talked to him um I had separate interviews with like another art director the leader of like the product the project management team. And um, so that was like three people in one day. Um, like they just sat me down in like this big conference room to talk to them one-on-one. And then because uh, Ben Butcher was out um, that time, I, I came in again later and then I talked directly to Ben Butcher and his office was incredible. And he's just like this really personable guy, just like there's macrame and like, doilies everywhere and everything was like in the the kind of 70s retro color scheme it was incredible oh and like beaded curtains everywhere that's, that's awesome like, yeah <laughs> and yeah so like uh i i guess i left a good impression and um i got the job and i was thrilled <laughs> so yeah i i started off as a, a plush designer at funko was that like a dream job for you or was it kind of like a you're here and now you're experiencing this and you're like, Oh, this is amazing. And I 
never would have anticipated me working in this field, working for, you know, a, a toy company like this. Yeah. And I, I had no, like, it just didn't cross my mind when I was a student that I could get a job as a plush designer, much less like just any toy designer. Um, I think I logically knew that that was a thing, but I, it didn't click for me that it was something I could do. When I when I was a teenager and I was like applying for art schools and different programs, I had a very like simplistic view of what I could put my skills to. Like I I I had this vision of myself as like yeah I'm I'm the the kid who can draw really well. I'm I'm gonna be like so successful like. And also I like books. Oh yeah, I really like reading and I like comics. So I like drawing and I like writing. So I'll do comics, you know, and like. Right. And uh, then I I realized that no, I don't actually enjoy the process of making comics. And uh, <laughs> that's the yeah, worst, right? Yeah, it. I don't enjoy the process. It's pretty bankless. Like they'll they'll try to warn you in sequential art that like it'll, it'll take you years before you can break in and make a living doing it and like and they're not wrong like it takes a special kind of person to like succeed at making comics and i am not that special kind of person so falling into a plush designer position was it was a surprise to me but i was able to do the job like i grew a lot into that job like i didn't really know you know i didn't know exactly what i was doing at first um but I had the basic skills needed for it. And um, yeah, and it kind of just, it really worked out for me. I think one of the crazy things that people get, and this is just overall job related, is that people have these grandiose ideas of what it is to be in a position, in a creative position like that. And for you, and I don't know if you can relate to, to it. I know Piper, you know, we've talked about it. We, making money in the creative field on a podcast. We've been doing this for five years and we still haven't made money, but no, no, we did make money one time when we had an ad read once and they paid us $65 and we have not made money since then. Except for patrons. <laughs> Our patrons are amazing. They're the ones that really let us do this, but yes. Yeah. We did make money one time, but yeah, it's, it's you, you, you have this thought, like I'm good at something. I should be able to do it. And then when it's whatever that roadblock is and you're just like, Oh, this isn't a good feeling. I, why can't I do these things that I love? Yeah. And I think it leads to the, the leading question for what I want to ask next, um, Julie is, you know, like I said, people have a perception of what the job is, but when, when you have a creative position like this and in your mind, you know, it, it leads to going like, what's a typical day like at Funko, but does it on your creative side, the creativity that you were allowed to do while you were there? Uh, I mean, do, is, does it sort of prevent you from being as creative as you want? Does it, did it become, was it always fun? I know I'm asking a lot of things, but typically in your daily life, did, did you feel like, Hey, you could be, have the freedom that you want to be creative and, and did it align to all of that? So in, in some ways working for a company like Funko is easier than being a solo artist, like freelance. Um, in some ways, though, it is definitely less rewarding. No, I, I did not get to be as creative as I wanted to be. So, and, and a lot of that comes from limitations like keeping things 
cost effective, like keeping processes cost effective, um, having to, you know, like work with not just art directors, but also licensors. And then also like, does the sales department think what I'm designing will actually sell? You know, um, there's, there are all those things that are kind of maybe preventing me from, yeah, that, that just like prevent designers to, from being as creative as they want to be. Um, and like, in addition, in addition to that, something that's difficult that I really had to like, kind of come to terms with over time was they didn't, we couldn't really take like as designers, we couldn't really publicly take ownership over our projects. Um, so like I, I started there at a time when it was a really, it was an interesting time in that I started maybe just like a few months before Funko went public. Um, and so there was kind of a, there was like this big change in culture that I maybe didn't feel the full brunt of just because I was so new at the time. But like one of the things was like that we had to stop. We couldn't market ourselves like as individual artists with the work we do at Funko because there's a lot of like there's there's weird like corporate marketing like strategy, something involved there where they don't want us like, you know, yeah, messing around with the official marketing strategy and then also like affecting shareholders or something like that. Um, right. For example, also like I, one of my earliest pro uh, projects at Funko and one of like, I think the first original IP I got to work on, and I say original quote unquote, um, was the Cthulhu plush. And I say original because I didn't, we didn't have a licensor to like, you know, to, to or anything, but um, it's still one of my favorite projects to date. And it was like, it had some of the smoothest development, but I couldn't advertise that it was mine. I got a side eye from a director, right? Because I, I, I made a, a business card for myself, like to hand out at comic conventions that had me, like I drew myself holding the plush or like I wanted to display the plush on my table and they told me not to do that. Like, and that was just, that was kind of a bummer because like, working for Funko, like a company like Funko, when you're an artist, like you're giving them most of your creative energy and like you're dedicating so much of that energy. You're putting so much of yourself into your work there. It's kind of sad that you can't really, you know, share that and like put your name to it. But then, but then the upside to that is having health insurance and getting paid a living wage. Right. Right. Yeah, like, and, and, you know, and there's like, it's kind of like this grass, the grass is greener on the other side for, for, you know, a, a studio, like a, a corporate artist, like I was versus someone who is like freelance and that's made a name for themselves in that, like, yeah, I have some financial stability sort of, but I can't put my name on anything versus someone gets to make a name for themselves, but then they also have to like market themselves and ship everything out themselves and cover the cost of everything. And then like have all these skills, which I, I don't have. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of pros and cons and, and that's like something I had to learn and experience. That seems myself. crazy to me that like, 
you can't enjoy the fruits of your labors after I don't want to say selling your soul, but it, it it kind of equates to that because like I I have a, a traditional art background and I also do UI UX design on, as my like full time like real life job that also pays me money. So I just to I can't even imagine not being able to be like yes I have worked on this and and if you publicly state that you would get potentially reprimanded. That just seems like, I mean, I get it. It makes sense that they're, they're protecting the IP or protecting not their IP, but protecting the, the corporate image. But it just, that's just, that just wows me. And I, I want to be clear. They didn't stop us from, you know, maybe putting our work in our portfolio mm-hmm. or referring to it in resumes, but we couldn't, use that work as a form of like personal marketing to like gain new followers or anything. Right. Which is crazy. I mean, that's the part that's hard for me is because that's how, like when you do leave, right. And you go do something else, whether you're working for another company or you decide to do stuff on your own, like that's, that is the lifeblood, right. Mm-hmm. So and I, uh, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, and it's been hitting me especially hard recently uh, because, like, and I and I had um, a higher up kind of tell me at one point that I, you know, I shouldn't be riding on Funko's coattails that I should be like working on my, you know, my personal stuff so I could like stand on that like myself, right? Like I, mm-hmm. you know, and then this was in response to the the Cthulhu business card, and at the time I was like, oh, okay, in a sense, there's something fair there. Like, yeah, I should be developing, you know, my own work, like, outside of Funko. But also, like, that is a lot to ask of someone who does a full-time job working um, on creative stuff and then asking them to go home or, you know, to, like, to draw some more, you know, instead of, like, unwinding or whatever. It's so, that, that's terrible too, because like once you're doing something all day long, you don't want to come home and do more of the same thing you have done all day long. Yeah, I I had so little creative energy to come home and use. Like I would just like I uh, yeah I would come home at the end of the day just like burnt out. So it takes a special a special kind of person to like. To, to draw all day for work and then come home and draw some more. <laughs> yeah, I think it speaks to trade-offs, right? Like you said before, and understanding what, what the corporate world is and it sort of deadens some of that creativity. Not saying that you can't be creative, but it, it's that trade-off, right? It's like if you want to build a portfolio outside of that, be able to put that in social media or market yourself that marketability, you spend so much time being creative at work, it's, it drains you, just like you said. So it's really, to what you mentioned before, the trade-off of, hey, security, income, insurance, all those things that it brings to trade off uh, doing things on your own and, and the lack of security and what being a freelancer sometimes brings, you know, in that sense of the economy. Yeah. No, and it's, it's very much like golden handcuffs kind of a kind of a situation, <laughs> even though, I mean, <laughs> I say golden handcuffs me and like, in that it, I was getting paid a living wage that was still like, not great for the Seattle area. Like yeah. it was just like, okay, all right, you can have an apartment, but <laughs> you know, like you, you need seven roommates. 
Oh, sorry. I said you you can get an apartment, but you need seven roommates. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, you it's know, livable. You could have an apartment and no roommates, but also no savings. You know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure, right? Yeah. The. Uh, yeah. So, you, you, I I definitely felt stuck with that position, and I was finding that a lot of my worth, like my self worth as a person and an artist, was really tied to my job and like you know, trying to get validation from it and um, not getting, you know, the full satisfying validation that I really craved. For sure. One of the things we've asked for a long time, not from anyone specific, but one of the perks for being with Funko, were there any perks, company functions, happy hours with giveaways and protos, lines that you designed, were you given, like if you designed a specific character, were you given a proto of that or anything (laughs) of the like? Yeah, I can talk about that. Happy hour giveaways were not a thing. When I started, there would be like company holiday parties and they would like, they would give out freebies. So like when I, the first holiday party I went to December, in December of 2016, they gave everyone like free Funko branded messenger bags and then like maybe a gift card or something. And that was cool. And yeah, if you're in the creative team and you worked on a project, you would get a free sample of like anything you touched basically. So like, well, that's cool. Uh, yeah. Yes. It's cool. I'm going to say, yes, it's cool. But then things to say, um, <laughs> we'll get there. Yes. So, uh, I think when I, so I eventually like expanded my responsibilities, like from plush to vinyl. So I want to, I want to get that information out there. Like, so I went from designing exclusively plush to designing like plush and then Paka Paka and pops all those. And uh, we love Paka Paka. You do good. Yeah. Um, what are your favorite, favorite lines? Soda cats. Yeah. Soda cats is one of the, the first ones. Um, that's one that we, uh, started out as like an outside license that we kind of translated into a pocket pocket format. Um, I did the, po- uh, the soda cat plush. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So that was, that was a fun project. Um, before I started vinyl, they used to give the concept artists and sculpts the protos to like to have and to keep my timing was weird in that I never got to have a proto. And actually, like, shortly after I started doing vinyl, like, within the year, I think the uh, the pandemic hit, and then they stopped doing free samples at all. Wow. And, yeah, so, you know, we went from, like, having company holiday parties, like, there were maybe, I think the last one was in 2020. Um do you think that was due to the cultural change and COVID or? Actually, like, I'm trying to think if I'm trying to remember, I remember the last one I did not go to. They, they, um, the last one maybe was in like right before COVID, but I just didn't go. But, um, no, yeah, I think, okay. Yeah. I think it was in 2019, right before the pandemic. And then there were just no more company holiday parties. And also then it was like up to the department to throw their own like little party and like every year the company like the holiday gifts that employees got just kind of dwindled <laughs> in value and in such that like 
the the last one that people got was you could uh sign up for a themed box and they would send you one and you wouldn't know exactly what was in there but also there were limited quantities of each one um and then but then really like the final the only like consistent um perk that we had was maybe a 50 percent off discount i was pretty bitter about the uh no no more like free samples especially because like i had just started as a concept artist for vinyl lines and uh they had just released a couple lines that i really really loved that i was really proud of the uh cloud cats and fruit bats uh paka paka are mine and right before those came out and i would have you know been able to get free samples they stopped the free samples like and and I was just like begging anyone who could, you know, who would listen, be like, hey, you know, like if you happen to have any extras, I would really love these since, you know, I did all the concepts and, you know, their original IP, like I would love these. But um, sadly, I, I kind of just had to rely on the kindness of coworkers who went out and bought them themselves in order to, to get any. That's kind of um, like, that's like dangling a carrot. And then when you finally get to the finish line, they're like, oh, yeah, the store's all out of carrots. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, I just, I felt like even with a 50% discount, um, I just felt like it was really not fair to like have to pay for blind boxes that you of on? my own line. That's like, yeah. yeah, and they're blind boxes, so you don't even know what you're going to get. You're just like, what? Yeah, like I think I had like, I received so many limes, like free lime bats from people because that's just the most common one, I guess. So I had maybe five at one point. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with all of these. I don't but, need these. Okay. Like, <laughs> so. That's kind of interesting you say that because that's about the same time that the Fugitive Party stopped, right? 2019? Yeah, and I that's what I was alluding to is that there was, and then what I was asking Julie was along the lines of you had mentioned before that when Funko went public, there was this cultural shift inside of the company. And I was, I was wondering, cause you said things started to diminish. Did that directly correlate to that pump Funko going public? And you really, they display, I, I would say they display an image now with Mike Becker and Mariotti since he's back of like, we're still engaged. I'm using quotation marks. You can't see that, but, <laughs> but they were still engaged with fans, but internally Maybe did that is that when the culture truly shifted and you saw the diminishing uh, returns from like gifts and and things that they were giving back to employees. I mean, is that I can't talk about? No, I'm just <laughs> trying to think of like we the free stuff that we got as gifts from corporate. It's not a lot. Like, um. Like we got the free messenger bags, like the year before me, uh, like in 2015 or something, they had free hoodies. But like after that, there was like, there was, you know, employees got these um, like free NASDAQ themed gift boxes when we went public. And I still have like an unopened shirt box somewhere along with like a dorb, a NASDAQ somewhere. Um, But like, for free gifts from corporate like <laughs> um, yeah. no we never had like i don't recall any like funko internal party giveaways um 
they were supposed to give people uh, these like com commemorative statues for working five years, 10 years and so on. Um, and when I passed my five years, they're actually like right before um, I, I, I left, they were talking about how they were going to get me my statue, even though I was at six plus years. And um, I never did get it. But <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to get this like metallic colored um, Freddie Funko statue as like a, as a gift for working so many years. Um, there was there there were uh, they were selling Funko Letterman jackets to employees at a discount, which still ended up being like forty dollars. Um, but no, yeah, there really weren't many freebies after like they stopped doing like free samples. So the perks never really existed in that regard to what we would. I mean, we we think again, it's perception, right, from a fan, and I can only convey the fan's perspective of Funko going public from from my perspective of saying, you know, back in the day. And you were there since 2016. So even up to like 2017, 2018, fun days used to be completely different from when they corporatized another quotation mark word. And so our perception was that changed. But I mean, specifically, you, you see the shift from the fans. So I, I would assume that, you know, it, there would have been some shift there. But no, thanks for that. Yeah, no. So like fun days, I never attended. Um like you didn't, as an employee at Funko, you didn't get to go to conventions unless you were on the marketing or photography team, or if you like volunteered, like, like you'd have to, you know, if they really needed volunteers and you could, they would have a call for volunteers. But a lot of us, there were not many of us like on the creative team who got to go to like those big fun parties and meet celebrities or anything, but just wasn't accessible to most of us. Yeah, and I think our biggest familiarity with the Funko team was the marketing team, like Sully on the marketing team. That's that's who we knew for the longest, and he would always tell us, hey, it's great to go to conventions, but we now know why people wouldn't want to volunteer because it's you know, 12, 14-hour days, setting up, tearing down, working those events on top of what you already do. Yeah, um, and I, I so there are a couple conventions like – there have been a couple Emerald City Comic Cons that um, that I did volunteer to do where I would sit at that table as one of the artists, like drawing fan requests. Um, and I did that also at the the uh, Everett HQ opening event. Um, and, and those were paid. Um, but also it is like backbreaking to like be bent over a table for hours on end, just like staring down at a piece of paper and like drawing like super quickly or, you know, trying to trying to make sure that the, you know, the, the family is happy. But, um, well, you, you may have drawn my Mr. Poopy butthole Emerald city, 2018 circa. Oh, uh, maybe. That, um, that's crazy. I'm not, I'm not certain, but I designed the, um, Mr. Did I design the plush? Oh man. I can't remember. Mr. Poopy um, butthole, Rick and Morty. Yeah, no, Rick and Morty. Yeah, I um, I didn't do wave one, but I did every wave after that of the Rick and Morty plush. Oh wow, nice. That's yeah. Awesome. So I did the pickle Rick. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Okay, so that kind of leads us into this uh, next one. So, what lines did you all work on? I know you said the Cthulhu stuff and obviously the Rick and Morty stuff, and then a lot of the Paka Paka. But what else did you work on? Yeah. So. <laughs> 
I I could give you a list. It would not be comprehensive at all because <laughs> um, any any artist has worked on just like a crap ton of skews. But um, I can tell you the standouts. I so my very first project was the banana plush. I got to design the Wetmore Monsters plush, um, like the entire series one. Well, the original colorway of series one, and then I did a f- like half of the, uh, or I did a good chunk of series two of the Wetmore plush. Um, let's see, did the Steven Universe plush. Oh, nice. I did a lot of the newer Harry Potter plush, like after series one. Uh well, let's see. I hmm. I did uh so for the uh, spastic plastic line, I did the cup noodles of the the pops. Oh, nice! And yeah. Actually, one of my first lines. Um, I became I kind of like doing when I started on 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 pops. I kind of grew into my niche of becoming like the the main like DC artist. Uh, oh, nice. so, yeah so like i started off doing like the dc holidays um designs and like wonder woman 1984 was one of my first projects but then like that kind of expanded into <laughs> like the new batman movie uh i actually the so the the project for dc i'm most proud of is uh doing the wonder woman 80th anniversary series that one was really fun for me um i really like I did the one of my favorite pops I did is the uh the death metal Wonder Woman. Um Oh I love that. I we have yeah. I have a chase hang in my office right now. Yeah, I love I that's one I didn't get a sample for, but I love that one. I'll mail um, it to you. I'll give it to you. No, you don't have to do that. You should <laughs> it. It's special. Um <laughs> a more recent one is uh Starfire, like the Justice League Starfire, that was a, I think it was either Emerald City or New York Comic Con exclusive. Um, so I did Starfire and Raven, and those were, those were really fun. I did manage to get a free sample of Starfire because I, I, uh, I talked to the right person, <laughs> the project manager. But um, yeah. Oh, so like I also did the Suicide Squad pops, or I'm sorry, the, the newer one, the uh, James Gunn one, and. Peacemaker was really fun. Uh, yeah, like, so just most of the DC pops that have come out in, like, the last couple of years. I did, like, not all of them, but a good chunk. Um, let's see. Oh, I did I did the WandaVision and Loki pops. And, yeah, I think, I think those are a lot of the big ones. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I did a lot. <laughs> Six years and you you do a lot. So like how many on, on like a regular, like a regular person, like that's working there as a designer, how many, like in the span of like, I guess like a year, like how many different projects are you working on? Gosh. Um, so it, it depends on your position. Um, so like, I think the per- the people who touch the, who are you know responsible for the smallest amount of projects are actually the concept artists. So like, um, I think because we have we're responsible for like a pretty big chunk of the project, but like, man, I how many projects am I in charge of at a time? Like, I never really tried to measure that, but it would be 
it would be a lot. And like, and do you, do you measure, do you go by like the skews or do you go by the, the line? Like I, it's for individual skews. I don't know, like maybe 10, 15, 20 at a time. Um, oh my God. That's oh my so gosh. I can't even imagine that. Like wrapping a on. lot. When I'm, I'm like, I'm working on like four websites right now. And I'm like, this is way too much stuff. I can't. I mean, I would say website is more involved. Than, I don't, like, I will, I will, I will argue that it's, it's like, for me, it's just like autopilot, like click, click, go type. That's it. Like what you're doing, like, you know, your brain is being accessed from multiple directions. Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, I think like sculptors are probably next like they handle more than concept artists but i'm actually not sure i think their work is a lot more intense they have a lot more pressure on them there's also like more of them like like in the golden age like in the heyday of the creative department the sculptors the sculptors were like the biggest sub department and the fastest growing within the creative department but um yeah, if you like you're in packaging, if you were a renderer, then you would have just a crap ton like you'd touch way more projects. Um, but also you have like a lot less creative um input because you're you're working more on like in the later stages right. of each skew. You're like, here's a mock up, this is what you're gonna do. Leading into the next question, trying to be mindful of your time here, but certainly uh we've talked about lines that you've designed on we've talked about some of the different areas being plush and vinyl uh, everything funko because you work there i think one of the things that we cover on the show is from a collector's perspective what do you collect i mean i know working at funko is just like hey, am i gonna do the drugs that i sell or am i gonna you know <laughs> it, it, what lines if any at funko and not even specific to funko do you collect legos what outside of that and i would say go from the perspective of as long as you've been alive and collecting, have you collected and is it a hobby that you do and what lines and, and products do you collect? So yes, I am a collector, most definitely. Um, so ever since I was a kid, I was a huge reader. So I have a collection of books. Um, I have a collection of like comics and manga as well. And Sorry, like if my voice sounded different, I was like looking over at my bookshelf. But um, <laughs> I knew exactly what you're doing. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I could hear yeah, it. So, I know that same thing. So yes. Yeah, like I, I look at it, even though I know what I collect. But um, yeah, so a lot of books. I've always I've always been collecting them. Like, and when I was like in my early twenties, I actually worked at this uh, mom and pop shop in um, in um in the in, in the malls of Georgia, but like uh it sold all kinds of like novelty collectible stuff like ranging from minecraft to hello kitty to like dc to anime things and um i actually like i was there when like pops were going mainstream and so like that was really interesting to see like i think i saw like my the first time i ever saw pops was like working at Barnes and Noble and I saw like Wolverine and Maleficent or whatever. Um, and so before I ever started working at Funko, I never bought pops for myself. I always just got them as gifts for other people, which I think is really funny, but um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but working at that one shop, I 
actually started collecting uh, Kid Robot and Tokidoki items. Um, I started off with the, the, I can't remember which is the, the blind box one. It's either Dunnies or Munnies. And then um, I collected the Tokidoki Unicornos as well. Um, and then uh, once I started at Funko as a plush designer, I really leaned into like collecting plush myself, like like designer, like independent artist design plush. Um, and like, I, you know, I would joke about how like, oh, it's not a professional interest. I want to study these, but you know, really it's just like- <laughs> It's a tax write-off. Yeah, well, <laughs> what? <laughs> I never actually did that, but cause I was too lazy, but- um, <laughs> Now you can though. Now it's yeah, I could, yeah. I uh at the at the time, like it was the most money I ever made, which is not saying a whole lot, but like it was the most money I ever made. And like so I spent it on on collecting like plush and and also I went crazy like using my 50% discount on buying pop. And then it wasn't long before I just had too many to display. So like <laughs> like everyone uh, else. Yeah, but so like, one of the things that um that I, I am maybe fortunate in is that I never got into like a real hoarding mentality. I kind of I I've always kind of done like the Marie Kondo thing of like does this spark joy? Like and so <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, so like the pops actually became like really easy come easy go. Uh and this was this was a really this was a common thing within um the art department is like People would just like come in with a pile of pops that they don't want anymore and give them away to like other people, like other employees. So like there was a lot of churn, like, like pops might pass hands like two or three times more, um, before they like end up in their final home because, you know, someone just doesn't want it. <laughs> but then, and then there's also people who just like filled their entire garage with like their freebie pops. And that's <laughs> actually like in hindsight, the smartest thing to have done as an investment. <laughs> Yeah, no, so like I'm not gonna like name names or anything, but uh No, it's fine. Nobody oh, listens yeah, yeah. to this. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, no, uh, no one's gonna listen. But like so the first big round of layoffs at Funko um was after, you know, people were furloughed during the pandemic. And one of the people laid off um had been there basically like since the beginning. And they had like this huge collection of pops. And they made enough, like, from selling protos to, like, live off of it for a while. I even know so, the person. You probably know the person. Um, they're, they're really <laughs> I'm not going to mention the name. Yeah. That's fun. And so it was, like, if you were there long enough, just by, like, having, like, you know, the, the perk of free protos or whatever, it was kind of like this unofficial rainy day fund. And, and that was the thing that, like, I was kind of upset about like losing on free samples is like that we basically like lost potential like like free money know, like rainy day funds like an alternative like 401k kind of situation we didn't we didn't get to have that anymore unless you were already collecting forever yeah and protos are selling for three four hundred a thousand it's crazy yeah the fact that they stopped like letting us have that I just like you know it, it 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 was a little bit upsetting, but um. Well, that's totally understandable too. Like I, I think anybody could see that as being just like a huge like it's a huge disappointment because like 
you're putting your blood, sweat, and tears into something. And, and to me, it seems like an easy thing for them to do would just be like, hey, here you go. Thanks for making this. We appreciate you. I mean, and there's, there's like, to be fair, there's logistics involved. Like, someone does have to, like, sort through piles and piles of boxes to make sure everyone gets, like, what they want. But it was very much treated as, like, kind of an all-or-nothing thing. And, like, we, you know, like, there were a few of us who, like, tried to propose plans to, like, you know, let people, you know, maybe pick and choose what samples they wanted. But mm-hmm. nothing was ever really, like, given that consideration and part of that i think is just because of like how busy the workload kept everyone like there just wasn't time for that i can tell you this i would want to be jim the proto sorter guy at funko that's the job that i want (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh okay so we'll get to the last like couple of questions because we've been going for like 53 minutes now so um i'll go with Good. I'm I'm happy. You're always welcome back anytime you want to come and hang out. Wait, one one question that I want to follow up before we get to the patron question. Oh my God. And it's more on a positive note, right? Because we've talked about the lines you've designed and kind of what I want to know is as you design the lines, whether it be plush, whether it had been vinyl, when you walk out in the normal public outside of jobs and you outside of your job and you go to like a hot topic or someplace where you see a vinyl, a pop figure that you designed. What, what did that mean to you? Do, do, do you have a sense of pride in that and knowing that, hey, regardless of where you were and what you were allowed to say that, hey, that is your design that you put out there. You spent blood, sweat and tears on it and you see it in the stores. Did you did, did you get that feeling? Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, that, that feeling was definitely like strongest in the early days, like when I wasn't, you know, jaded and used to it yet, but like, um, no, I, I definitely like, I have a pretty, like, I, I remember walking into a hot topic and then seeing my Cthulhu plush on shelves and just being like, yeah, that's so cool. Um, you just like scream at the people that work there. I made that. I mean, I I don't want to be like, you know, I don't want, I don't want to be like that person. I don't, I I feel like it wouldn't mean a lot to, I don't know. Like this might just be me being self-conscious, like telling myself like, Oh, they don't care. Julie, sometimes you got to flex. Yeah. You got to flex on these people at the hot topic. Okay. I'll tell you what never gets old though. Um, when, uh, when I see people like fans, individuals with happy faces holding something I designed like like not just the things on the shelves but like the actual proof that someone wanted it enough to like spend the money on it you know or to like just they just you know they love the product makes them happy brings them joy like that's that's the really like great thing to see um and so like I got to see that with like people holding like the Wetmore Monster plush at the the HQ opening and like I I like it's it's a fun feeling to like just be minding your own business like scrolling on the internet and then you just run into like a picture of you know one of your products that you designed like sitting on someone's shelf and being like oh cool like um and actually, like recently, I, I joined a couple of uh, of discords. Oh, <laughs> uh, to, to add on, um, I collect like designer toys as well, like art toys. And so this kind of ties in. I joined like the discords for some of the like designer toy shops that have discord channels. And like 
and I was like selling some of my extra like paka paka and someone was like, oh my God, I love those. I want them. And then, and then I was like, yeah, so here, I designed them. And so like, that's when I want to flex, you know? <laughs> exactly. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. So Patreon questions. These are, these are the most important ones because they don't, they didn't come out of our brain. And I know some of these, you, you probably are not going to apply to you because they're more just like general questions about Funko. And maybe you have some insight on these. So if maybe you weren't involved in this, maybe you do understand this process. So, cause I know it's all, it's all about the process, right? Yeah. So, all right. So the first one, I don't remember who sent this one. This may have been, I'm going to assume it's Joe, but Patreon Joe, this is his question. Uh, I love to know how creative you're allowed to be, especially with the bigger IPs. They've heard that a lot of times the license owners dictate a lot of what happens. Uh, how much liberty do you have? Let's say you were working on something like Spider-Man or Superman. What, what, what artistic freedom do you have in creating your, uh, your designs? Yeah. So, um, if it's Joe, Joe heard correctly, uh, that yeah, the licensors can be pretty strict depending on the licensor. Um, like not all of them are the same. Some are like pretty lenient. They don't, they're just happy to receive anything. And then others are a lot more, uh, yeah, just choosy. Tom um, Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I have stories of like, certain like you know real life celebrities being very picky about certain details on their pops but um i, I won't call anyone out specifically there but uh <laughs> yeah I, so there there have been there have definitely been times when i was working at funko where i was really excited with like and i you know maybe designing for like an ip i was really passionate about and and I was really excited to do like a specific pose or specific like story moment. And then like I finished the concept and everything, sent it to the licensor and they came back and they were like, no, change it completely. Like, oh um, my God. no, they're like, no, that's, that's not happening. Sorry. Yeah. Or like, um, and this is actually, this was a really common thing where we would send them a line list. They would approve the line list. Then we would like do the concepts for the line list. And then, you know, we would send it to them and they're like, no, we want this actual specific thing, this specific pose or this specific story moment, which, you know, would have been so great to have heard before we did like, you know, the, the concept art and everything. But um, there don't like this is this is something I've seen like in, in fan conversations about um, pops and stuff where, you know, people are like maybe saying like why aren't they doing this does the concept artist like do the do the designers not know that this is actually like a really like well-known beloved pose or story moment and then i can tell you there's a really good chance that the designer probably did know that but they just were not allowed to do it for whatever reason because like maybe it just like goes against the image that the licensor wants to project you know for sure no that that totally i mean that makes sense um and then there was a follow-up to this that says, um, when meeting with potential um, 
companies to, you know, to try to acquire their IP. Were you at all involved in that or is that something that's like above your pay grade and you had no interaction with that at all? Yeah, that's a completely different department. Okay. Um, there was a licensing department and yeah, we weren't really involved in that. And then like, as far as choosing IP, like there's, there's another one. So like kind of tied into that is merchandising. So it's like the, the merchandising department is actually what decides the line list. And they're not always like, they're not always the fans, like, which right, is unfortunate. Right. True. I think this is like really, <laughs> yes, for, for Funko Pop collectors, I think it's been a really obvious thing where they're like, why did you make a pop of this character and not that one? Like, it's it's because... It's either the licensor or it was like someone in merchandising who didn't know what they were doing. And then the licensor didn't care enough or something. So we, there were like, you know, there was talk about like reaching out to the creative department for line list recommendations, but it wasn't very, um, they didn't really like, that didn't happen a lot. There was like one time where um, I was able to like change a decision for a line list. and I, I just remember this. So, like, I did, um, after the first wave of the Inuyasha Pops, I did all the other ones. And there was, like, this recent case where they wanted to do a pop of this, like, villain who shows up in one episode in, like, a 200-plus arc. Um, and I'm like, a 200-plus episode arc. Like, in the entire series is more than 200 episodes. 200 plus right, right. This this character is in there for like half a you know just yeah like one episode and I'm like no why why are we doing this like and then the person like and then the person was just like yeah I, I googled Inuyasha and this is what like popped up and I was like I what? uh no this is not a major character like <laughs> we we should do this 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 person or something else like so but I had to like very much take that upon myself to go seek out like whoever was in charge of like the merchandising like line list and be like let's not do this let's do this instead like that's amazing all right let me move on to patreon patreon question number two from patron we'll call him brockus now this one is (laughs) immediately (laughs) is the only not serious question but it is kind of funny because there were images. We don't need to just just ask the question. No, the images going around. Are there things inside of pop heads? We know the right, answer, so- but <laughs> okay. Um, I've seen that too. Uh, I have to like. I have to say that I have never tried to cut open a pop head myself. You did not put anything <laughs> in there. Well, I've never, I've never put anything in them myself, but I've also like never cut them open to see. <laughs> yeah it's a silly question okay i will say this let me let me follow up with this were you aware since you mentioned tokidoki i'm a big tokidoki collector as well were you aware that in the uh after dark series 2 the 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 sarcophagus inside of it is a mummy no you also, can like I, you can open it I, up and there's a glow-in-the-dark mummy and it is amazing well i haven't like been keeping up with tokidoki but along similar lines um, are you aware of like the Lego brickheads? Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. So they most of them, maybe not all of them, come with like a pink brick in the middle of the yep. head. Yep. So like 
that's one occasion where they actually put a brain inside the head of something. And like, you get to have the fun moment of putting it together. Yourself. Oh, 100%. Yes. I think the first time I noticed that was I put the, the Frankenstein's monster together, which it, I thought I, I didn't know that they all of that. I've done a few of them, but I don't, that was the first one. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Like so it. like my, my partner collects Lego and we have a bunch of brick heads and that's important. So we've had, like we've noticed a pattern now. Nice. <laughs> yes. Very good. Um, but also, like, I can give you a serious answer to like the brain thing. Oh. To the are there is there is there a brain inside of pop heads? Yes. Like, I can not entirely serious, but I can give you one based off of uh, some educated um, guesses. Do it. If I'm gonna be salty, I'm gonna say no. There are no brains based on Funko not wanting to spend the money on. Uh- like the extra shipping oh, like weights and material. Burn. You, they, they, they got burned. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, Patreon question number three. I don't remember who this one was from. Caleb. Is it Caleb? Okay. What are some of the biggest challenges designing lines? Like would they get rejected by the creators who give them the license or something like that? Or were they allowed to do certain scenes and characters at their choosing? So, like, I touched on this a little bit before about, like, licensors being, like, really picky. Um, But, yeah, so, like, it can get really frustrating when the licensor comes back multiple times with conflicting feedback that's happened. Um, Like, there have been a few projects I've worked on where we were working on... Um, I mean, like, for example, like with the Marvel, like the MCU, uh, we would have to work on developing lines before production was even finished. Like, so we could get pretty far in development with a certain character and then the character is cut because they're, they don't have like much of a major presence in the movie or something or like a costume changes. So we have to go in and change the costume or like props change entire, like, um, poses change. Um, I did. Um, so like, for example, with like, uh, the, from Loki, the, the frog of thunder, uh, or was it Thor, uh, frog, I think he's called. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, we had to do a couple different iterations. Um, so like the first one, like the first version we did, like we didn't know he was going to be in a jar. So I just, all I had to go off of for a pose was like kind of a low res, like concept art image. And then his comic presence. And, and so like, I just had to look at like existing comic covers and like kind of come up with the pose from that. But then like it got rejected and then we didn't, we kind of like held off, like we kind of paused development for a while until like the show came out. And then you see the Frog of Thunder as like an Easter egg in the ground. And you don't even get to like zoom in on the jar, but he's in a jar. So we did a Frog of Thunder and the jar like pop. <laughs> so <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, so here is the, this is the last patreon question right this is from brendan and he says um once you guys get the license how is the 
character selection uh, done, which you kind of already mentioned that, uh, are they limited on poses? How do they decide whether to make it flock, glow in the dark, metallic, etc.? And then how oh, we'll do that. And then I'll do the second part follow up. Yeah. Okay. So um, like, it depends on like, if it's like an existing IP or a new one, that's like being a new release. So merchandising decides like what characters we do and like, well, merchandising works with licensors. Like they, they propose a line list and the licensor will choose to like approve it or to make adjustments and deciding like whether or not to do like metallic treatments or flocking or whatever is usually a lot of that is dependent on costs like like how like what is the you know like the profit margin we want to work with like is this going to be an exclusive with like a retailer and are they going to pay a special price is this have we done other versions of this character before um that kind of thing so like um and whether or not like how the pose works it depends on so like if this is a character we've never done before we have like pretty free reign to decide what pose we want to go with if this is a character that we have done many versions of we kind of have to go through or like our backlog to find you know a pose that we haven't already done a million times so like I've done versions of Batman and The Flash and like Aquaman and stuff like that. And so I've had to like make sure that whatever new version I'm doing is not a carbon copy of something we've already done. Um, if this is for a new IP, and again, I'm going to refer to like the MCU, where we have like little, very little reference available. Like if we don't have any context for like who the person is in the story, then. I kind of just have to make a best guess. Um, and sometimes we have to beg for more reference from, from the licensor, or sometimes I just have to like come up with something and then let the licensor change it themselves later. Um, and yeah, so like, and whether or not we do like metallic or flocked, yeah, like that that is kind of like a merchandising and sales like decision. Um, although sometimes we, artists as artists we can like be like hey this would be really cool if this was if this had a glow treatment as like an exclusive or a chase or you know if we did metallic on this um and then like and then there are some characters which just have like the standing agreement like contractual agreement that you can only do metallic you can't do like like wonder woman is always going to have metallics on her like no matter what oh wow that's very yeah. interesting. I would not think that that would be in a licensing agreement, but that's very cool to know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. And then the follow-up portion to this question would be to go. Oh, here it is. <laughs> I looked off the screen and I lost it. Um, how is it that convention exclusives are chosen? And the follow-up portion to that is, uh, also, for commons, why are there not more special commons done, like glow in the dark, or like you said, you brought the Wonder Woman thing up. He said metallic for uh, like Iron Man parts and stuff like that. Commons. Like, yeah. Sorry, what do you mean by commons? So, like, so let's uh, just a common pop, right? Like, it's not a not a oh. store exclusive or anything like that. Sometimes there are ones that are glow in the dark, right? Why yeah. are there not more if there's done and and 
can you do you know so yeah usually um they will save special treatments like glow in the dark for exclusives like yeah for like convention exclusives or retailer exclusives because so like um the commons um in-house we call those mainline um mainline being like you know just something that you can get anywhere right. and the exclusives are like the special like more rare ones right yeah. um and then there's also like the chases which kind of act like exclusives but are just mixed in with everything and and this is like kind of a sales thing is they they want to do the main line which is more accessible and easy to get and then but then they want to have like the exclusive like be special enough where you're actually motivated to go to that specific retailer and purchase it from them so like and by having like the exclusive like like it it's it's a sales thing and then i could probably go more into detail but like just from what i've like picked up like Hot Topic will order an exclusive because they, you know, like they want to draw like that particular attention. And usually it's up to sales to, you know, to convince like a retailer to to purchase the exclusive. So and how those are chosen um, before it used to be uh, merchandising. But there have been like a few times like later in my career where I got to like propose different options as exclusives just to to be like hey this would be kind of cool like maybe we can sell this one you know um and like and i don't know if this is out yet um but like there have been a so like the aquaman 2 mm-hmm. uh is that movie canceled or not i'm not sure i, like, I think I, it's still a thing i don't i don't like it but <laughs> well uh i i designed those pops and whenever those come out and um they uh there yeah there have been a few few times where I'm like, yeah, we can do like a translucent treatment on this and a glow in the dark treatment on that. And oh, and oh, and this thing is supposed to be invisible. So we can make this like, blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, I get to have like some fun with it to like propose exclusive options. And then, but then it's kind of up to sales to see if they want to pick anything up and, and sell it. So nice. All right, cool. I think, I think that was the last one. I do have one final Follow up before we get to the get off the stage moment, like the grandiose in- ending. <laughs> I have you seen the movie Office Space? I saw it years ago. I remember the red stapler, and I remember them smashing a printer. Yeah, and I remember- all the important parts. So it's it seems like <laughs> merchandising is like the guy that makes the jump to conclusions, Matt. <laughs> He's like, I get the, I get the form from the customer and I take it to the engineers. Like there's that disconnect there. And then, uh, where you mentioned before, this is primarily a comment, but, um, when you had talked in the beginning, it's like, I've got seven bosses, Bob, I've got to run things through before I can do anything. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of approvals we have to go through. (laughs) It's just so funny how that movie relates now. Well, it relates to, I, I think we all. We all relate to that at yeah, some corporate point. world. Yes. Oh, God, corporate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Piper. All right, so this is where we will. We will. This is the final. This is the final moment for you, and uh, I just wanted to give you the opportunity. If you want to say anything, tell a story, uh, make an explosion. This is yours. You're the stage is yours now, Julie. Oh man, make let's an go. Explosion. Well, I mean, okay. just focus around the timeline of the layoff. Do whatever yeah. you need to do. Tell us, tell us how it was. What, what was that situation? Tell us our story. 
all right, all right, I'll do that. Um, okay, so starting in late summer slash fall of last year, uh, we, the creative department, was told that we are going to go into crunch mode and, you know, to like, to, you know, maybe like go spend some time with our families in the evening, but, you know, then come back to work and do more overtime, like that kind of stuff. Uh, and also they were going to be outsourcing a lot of our sculpts to a factory in China. And, and we started off having some oversight, but then like uh, as concept artists, we started off having some oversight approving those sculpts, but, um, that was taken away from us in the crunch mode where we kind of just had to make even more detailed concepts and then leave the sculpt alone and it was up to the licensor to approve or not <laughs> um so and then in uh winter i went on mental health leave because in my six years i had never taken a break longer than two weeks so that was much needed and when I came back in January of this year, I don't know exactly when Mari Mariotti started again, but uh, the first week I returned, he made an announcement that we were going to be returning to the office on a mandatory hybrid schedule. You know, and this is after like, since the pandemic, we were working remote and like people had made major life decisions dependent on being remote. and. Um, with the schedule being like, you have to be mandatory back in office within a month. So like in the first week of January, they told us this and then, and it was gonna be happening in the first week of February, like the beginning of February. So that was fun. And they told us that we could, you know, there would be like meetings to kind of clarify, like, you know, oh, you have questions? Well, we'll answer them. Um, but then like nothing was scheduled for a while. And then they had a mandatory come into the office for an all hands meeting for, for creatives. And that's when Brian Mariotti announced that Ben Butcher resigned and that he was letting go Sean Wilkinson and Reese O'Brien. Yeah, it was, it was all, it was Ben's idea to leave. Like he, he resigned himself, but then like, but then for some reason, um, yeah, Brian just decided to like, to, yeah, let Sean and Reese go at the same time. And then also was saying that like, he fully expected attrition from like changes, you know, the, the changes from remote to, to mandatory hybrid. And also like, you know, they're, we're not, there were meetings, like meetings where he was making these announcements where we were not allowed to record anything. But yeah, and also like, you know, talking about like major changes and restructuring in creative. And um, yeah, like it was a huge, huge, uh, that day was, that day was really awful. Like there were a lot of people crying, like saying goodbye. And um, like and you guys was just knew something was bad around the corner. Oh yeah. I mean, well, I think we kind of felt it for a while, but like that day like confirmed a lot of fears and um it was maybe a week later before we finally got any kind of like 
meeting where we could ask questions about like the mandatory like return to office and but at this point it was already like January was almost over and people like still were not able to arrange for childcare and like yeah so so it was kind of like, like forcing the hand I mean like that's a theory um I mean like uh, it it definitely was like if it was like intended to force people's hands, it was working. So like, in, you know, in the, in the coming weeks, um, they were saying, they were giving us information where we could like, you know, apply, you know, to keep working remotely and to like, you know, to, you know, or maybe like apply for like some kind of accommodations or whatever. And I actually, like, I was determined to stay working remote, especially because like, if I were to force to come back into the office, that's driving 60 miles a day with like gas prices around $5, at least around here. Like it was going to be crazy expensive and so much time out of my life. And I had just adopted a puppy and like, I was just like, I can't do this. Like, <laughs> so I applied, you know, for like a medical accommodation to stay working from home and they gave it to me. They gave it to me like on the Monday of that like the last Monday of January or something. And then on Friday of that same week, they called me. I like, there was this uh, surprise touch base meeting in my schedule. And when I joined it, it was my manager and an HR representative. And they said that they had become aware that I was looking for work elsewhere and they wanted to give me best wishes and assist me in my search. And so they were going to say, like, goodbye, you know, like. Um, so just I out of the blue. Was, yeah, like I mean, the same week that I applied and was approved for medical accommodation, they fired me like I wasn't laid off even like that's not the official term. I was fired. Um, so, oh, man, that's like that's that's on the crazy side um i i totally feel for that because i i went through a very similar situation recently so it's so so difficult and that's just like i mean that's tough yeah like i like i was looking for work elsewhere because this was like i mean i've been wanting to leave like i've been unhappy forever because i've been like asking or like, um, I wanted to, I wanted to like, you know, find out what it took to get a promotion to senior level because I'd been a mid-level designer for basically like, you know, my entire career there. And I had a very specialized skill set. Like I was one of two people and no one ever gave me like a straight answer. But um, yeah, like, so I was, uh, and I was technically looking for work. And I'd only like, I'm not really sure like who told them like how they found out, but like they did find out and, and it wasn't related to performance or anything because I had glowing performance reviews. Um, so shortly after that, like throughout the rest of the like February, March, April, like they have done a couple rounds of layoffs. Um, Last I heard, it was like at least 30%. Like, there's maybe 45 people out of the original 120 something who are gone. 
Um, and there have been people who have chosen to leave themselves. And it's actually a lot of leadership that has chosen to leave. Senior level people like, like resigned and like people who have been there forever resigned because they, they, they like we're seeing the changes in culture and we're just not having it. And, or, you know, just we're feeling so like sad and discouraged by it. Like, like the mood in the art department and I still know people there like my it's like it's just a depressing ghost town in the creative department right now um because everyone's like wondering like who's next and that's ne that's never a fun feeling to have anyway no matter what you're doing it's just like that stress of like always having to look over your shoulder yeah and and you know there's like there's very much this feeling of like you know having to be like a yes man in order for you to like to stay there you know and you know and like not make any trouble and not speak up for yourself to stay there like that's all <laughs> that's like kind of the the attitude and that and that sucks like and and i and i hadn't mentioned this before um but uh gaslcast i think uh was referring to a petition written by employees. Um, I was actually, I helped write that petition. Yeah. I, so uh, to touch on that and sorry to interrupt, I think some of the you'd mentioned, and I don't want to keep it specific to Gaslcast, but there was conjecture or some of the things that were said around that is that when the uh, petition was put up, that there was like a demeanor that with the leadership that was like supportive was, did you find support in your leadership? And the, and if you can't answer, it's fine. But like leadership that was there, Ben Butcher, not anybody specific, but were they supportive of the creative department in that petition? So, I mean, I, I will get into that actually. Um, my personal feelings towards leadership, Ben Butcher included, is that their hearts are in the right place but they were still ultimately like middle management in the grand scheme of things. Like what really dictates the culture and what room leadership has to do their best for their employees, for their artists is really dependent on the culture that Brian Mariotti or like Andrew Perlmutter or, you know, anyone in like the C-suite feels like you know that they that they're that they're you know deign to allow you know like so and and a lot of like and i spoke to ben and ben was supportive of the petition ben like is very much an artist oriented leader but is also human like everyone is human every we you know don't always do or respond to things perfectly um but i think like he really wanted to do what was right by us, but didn't have that power and ultimately resigned because he was so tired of fighting for, you know, just, just fighting for everything, for anything, because, you know, like the ultimate, the true, like decision maker at Funko, it's not, it's, you know, it's the shareholders, it's money. It's like, yeah, making money for the shareholders, making money for, Brian Mariotti, like, you know, it's, there's, there's been a lot of 
a lot of evidence of that recently. And yeah. And I think that's, that's visible on the other side of the curtain as well. Like I think us as anybody that follows Funko or anything about them, they can, I think they can see it and they, they kind of know without even, if none of the stuff would have come out, if, if none of it would have been made public, I still think that people, people can see it. And it's, it's really unfortunate like that you could have such, I mean, it's kind of expected, but it's at the same time, it's kind of, you know, still a little bit of a surprise that you can see such a, a big change in the company going from all just a couple of owners to a board of directors actually makes it's, it's a little, you know, it's a little on the, on the wild side. And I think one of the things that we lose and collective as a society, we lose when we talk about layoffs and not just specific to Funko is that they, there's this sort of collective thinking that when, when I show a statistic that said, Oh, well, a hundred people got laid off. People don't really grasp the individual stories and the impacts it place on individuals. And that's why we, we thank you for coming on and basically having the courage to, to, have a voice here because I think you lose that concept in, Hey, there's a hundred people laid off. Like I said, and seeing how it impacts people on an individual level and what that does. So we appreciate, you know, the time that you've taken to talk all about this and, and really go into the story and, you know, some of the fun stuff too, but the hard stuff really. And we as collectors and people have been fans and dedicated a tremendous amount of our time to covering Funko, you know, while we love, products and things along those lines too there's the human element that we often forget that's behind that behind the designs behind the work the blood sweat and tears that are put into that like piper mentioned before and so we're really grateful for what you've been able to do today and i, I would leave it to you to if there's any lasting impressions or things that that you want to say that you haven't said already sum up your feelings and tell that story to the point of you know, it's not just you, there's other people being impacted and, and anything else that you have to say there. I want to, I want to say that like, you know, before I lost my job, I also, I mean, I was one of the people who didn't really grasp like what it really meant to be laid off or, you know, fired for unfair reasons or whatever. Um, but uh, the, the thing I want to remind fans of and really like anyone who will listen is that the artists I worked with at Funko were passionate about what they created. Like one of the things they would look for in the department, you know, were people who were just like passionate nerds, like who were really, really in to like what they made and being passionate, like it's kind of this double-edged sword, you know, because, um, you you make you want to take ownership of your work. You want to make the best product that you can, but it also means that you're more exploitable, and you know because you want to keep this like amazing cool job, but also like you don't maybe know like exactly what you're worth or like that you're even capable of doing anything else. But um, a lot of the people I worked with. Like all the people I worked with, we, we loved art. We loved creating and we loved like being able to work on just the coolest stuff. And, you know, it would break our hearts. Like when the projects that we really loved got canceled or, you know, like 
want to say like yeah there's people behind like there's people behind the pops (laughs) (laughs) or at least there used to be there's gonna be a lot there's a i mean there's gonna be people but are they gonna be passionate i don't know like all this alliteration whatever it's gonna be gone um but yeah like i have some genuine pride over things i got to do and that i made and i i grew a lot during my six years at Fonzo, and i don't regret that and now i'm just like you know working on recalibrating and trying to find my new direction in life and uh yeah that's one of the costs i uh, i i lost a lot of the sense of self-worth because like i got fired but then i also like am working on uh finding a new sense like you know reorient reorienting and finding um yeah, just reworking a bit. <laughs> right. Priorities in life. Yeah. That's something with the unexpected, but knowing that you did gain a lot of experience and, and certainly along the lines of that story and it and it really is touching to us to to be able to experience that with you and, and we thank you for that. And I wanna tell all of our fan base, you know, this is something that isn't to go lighthearted into and, and to really grasp the concepts of these stories and, and things along those lines and appreciate what people are doing. And, and like we said, there are people behind the pops. I think that's, that's one of the great things that we took away from this is that there really are people behind the pops. There are people that care and there, there are people that are collectors just like we are that do that. So sometimes when you get heated and you, you, maybe this provides you with that better understanding of what's behind the scenes, what's behind the curtains, and thank you very much, Julie, for the time that you've given us today. Yeah, you're, you're very welcome. I'm, I'm glad I got a chance to talk about this. Well, we, we feel very, it's, it's a gift that you were able to be here. And it's, I think we did, I think we gained a lot of insight. And we're, I'm happy that we could provide you with a, you know, a place that you could come and, and tell us the stories and, and maybe convey that to, to our listeners and hopefully, you know, whoever will listen. Yeah. Yeah. All right. With that being said, let's go to um, telling everybody good night, good well, farewell, and all the all the great things there. So we appreciate the time today. Again, this is a great episode, and I would say in the future, you know, more than welcome to come back anytime. We can talk about anything, and what you know, maybe when we're up in Seattle next time, we could meet you in person. Go hang out. Oh. All right. With that being said, I'm Rick, and I'm Piper. Good night. And. uh be, be good to each other. I love you. Good night. Good night.